everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. You're listening to Full Metal Pod, as always. And we are after Christmas right now. Um, it is, what's the 27th? So kind of in that weird in-between period between uh, Christmas and New Year's, where nothing seems to happen. Uh, everybody's just kind of uh, in, a, in a zombie state. But uh, how, how did you enjoy your Christmas break? My Christmas was great. Uh, I got to watch some new movies, which was awesome, from my house. But, you know, new movie releases are always great. I caught I caught Wonder Woman 1984, and I watched Soul. So it was a pretty good Christmas. Nice. I caught 84 as well, and I did not watch Soul, but it is on my to-watch list. I'll probably try to catch it this week at some point. Uh, yeah, it, I hear it was really good. Like a few people have seen it that I talked to and I respect their opinion and they all said that it was a great movie. So uh, I hope it lives up to the, to the hype for my sake, I guess. Soul is really, is really good. I would, I would put it up there with the other Pixar movies. I think it starts a little slow, but it, it just pulls itself together. So I, I you'll enjoy it for sure. Hmm. That's good to know. Yeah, I'll give it a watch. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe, uh, maybe a little later in the week. Of course, we have another holiday weekend coming up. I don't think there. Well, there might be a few releases because it's also the first of the month. But you know, we'll see what winds up. Uh, we'll see what I wind up watching to pass time. Uh, but yeah, it it was. It was a fun experience watching Wonder Woman because, and anybody who's listening, don't worry, we're not going to give any spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, but, you know, it was just interesting because I think this is the first, like, summer blockbuster type film to have had a at-home release in in combination with the theatrical release. So, you know, this is like the first time I have ever seen this film and it was at my own house so it's just kind of weird i feel the same i'm with all these kind of uh premium on demand movies even even though wonder woman is kind of packaged with hbo max i still i always try to create the movie theater feel like i have the popcorn and my soda and some m&ms and i'm i'm like sitting in a chair trying to you know look recline back a little bit make my place as dark as I can and turn up the volume really loud. So it's really cool. Cause I feel like this is like you said, the first kind of blockbustery movie, a lot of action scenes. So it was a definitely a different experience. It did make me miss watching movies and in, in the theater. I definitely saw some scenes where I was like, this would have really looked amazing on a big screen. Yeah. That's why I think, so there's a lot of people who are saying theaters are probably going to go away, and I disagree. I think that many won't survive because of just the fact that they're not bringing in any money right now, and it's hard for them to figure out. So I do think some will close. We'll probably see some companies consolidate, and maybe we won't see as many people go to the theaters, but I don't think theaters are going away because, like, I don't know. I... <laughs> The way I see it, the theater experience, like there's just some movies where you want to see it on a big screen. Like this one, I probably would have wanted to see on the big screen. Let's take, for example, Avengers Endgame. Like even if I saw it first at home, I would have absolutely gone and seen it at the big screen at another time just because it's that type of movie. Watching Wonder Woman 1984 made me really made me realize that I do want to see Black Widow on the big screen. Just from what I've seen in the trailers, it looks like there's gonna be a lot of action fighting scenes and explosions and that just looks good on the big screen. So I'm kind of ex- excited or I'm I'm kinda of glad that Disney pushed it back to May so we, it can be on the big screen. I hope that everything's going well in the world that we can see it. Um, in like its full glory i agree and we even saw it worse not worse but we saw it in a weird format uh for wonder woman so we wanted to have a viewing party 
and initially we just set up a, a meet and we all kind of got together and started chatting and stuff. Then we were going to watch the movie and then we were trying to figure out, well, how do we want to watch the movie? Do we want to just like everybody turn on their TVs and watch it? And then we're just all on the chat at the same time or, or how, so what we wound up doing and anybody who's watching, everybody has a HBO max subscription. So don't, don't get too concerned about it. What we wound up doing was I put on my computer, I played uh, the movie on my screen and did like a screen share of it. So there was like a little bit of a lag on it. And then every once in a while we ran into buffering issues, but overall the experience worked, but yeah, watching it on computer screens. Nice. That's kind of cool. Like recreating the everyone in the theater, you know, like you like to whisper to each other like, yeah. Oh man, that's a great scene or that's cool when that happened. Yeah. And I think it made, I think it might've made HBO max some money. Cause I do know like within my group, there are a few people who do not have HBO max subscriptions, but bought it just for the movie. And their kind of logic was, well, you know, I would have spent 15 bucks to see the movie anyway, if I went and saw it at the theater. And then now, you know, I have a whole month. I can watch this movie again. I could watch other shows, etc., for this whole month, and then just cancel it when you know February comes up or whatever, and move on. So you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who had that mindset, and that probably is going to help HBO's bottom line a little bit. I do. There's a lot of great movies on HBO Max, and if you're just got it for Wonder Woman. Um, check out their browse area because not all their stuff is in their uh, like landing page when you first lo- like get into the app. You, some things you gotta search for because they got some really cool um, classic '80s and '90s movies in there too. So I would say search around. Um, if you're in the U.S., the Studio Ghibli movies are on there. Yeah, favorite is My Neighbor Totoro. So check those out. Yeah, and also a lot of, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Cartoon Network and Comedy Central stuff, though, those might be moving to another service. I don't know. I, I could have sworn I heard something about it. And then uh, a lot of uh, DC stuff. Yeah, I mean, and we're not sponsored by HBO Max for what it's worth. We're just pointing out that there's a lot of good stuff on there. So, you know, if you bought yourself a subscription just to watch Wonder Woman, hey, you've got the you've got the whole month anyway. Might as well check it out. Yeah, it's a lot of great. I I would suggest if you're a little older, I mean, you're listening to a a Full Metal Alchemist podcast. Hopefully you're a little on the older side. There's a Harley Quinn animated show on HBO Max that is hilarious, but it's for a more mature audience. Yeah, it is is definitely not a uh, kid's cartoon. But yeah, yeah, definitely check out all the stuff on HBO uh unfortunately if you're on it right now you missed all the harry potter movies because they just took off all the harry potter movies which i'm very upset about you know if you wait around a bit maybe it'll come back eventually um at least that's what what you can hope for i read that they i think that they moved to hulu all the the harry potter movies i'm not sure it's something about like the licensing of them. Which studio right. owns it and everything. It's kind of funny because <clears throat> I remember back in like the early 2000s when people started cutting the cord. I cut the cord back in 2011 because everybody was like, oh, I don't need to get a TV ser- uh, service. I can just use Hulu and Netflix and YouTube. And that was kind of all that was it. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, Disney Plus and HBO Max and and uh, just all these other ones, Peacock and CBS All Access. And it's like at, you're going to reach a point where you're going to have like 10 services just to watch all of the content that you want to watch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Spe- like cutting the cord. When I talk to my friends about cutting the cord and then I think about now how many subscription services I have. Like Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max. I have YouTube Premium. I'm basically paying cable prices, but you know, I like I like what I like, and it's I like a large library of content. Yeah, and the what the weird thing is when it's one of the things like it. 
they only have one item that you're really, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're really interested in. Like I got CBS All Access just to watch the new Twilight Zone, and now that I'm done with it, I'm like, whatever. Oh, for me, I got CBS All Access because I'm a huge Survivor fan, and they have all the seasons of Survivor, so I like to rewatch old episodes of Survivor, even though I know what the outcome is. I still like to to see the challenges. One day, my dream is to be on that show. One day indeed, though I guess maybe they will have their own version of Survivor soon where, I don't know, I think a lot of us can go through it after staying in one place forever and trying to find toilet paper and whatnot. Oh, Survivor, like quarantine. Edition. Exactly. Well, I think, what are we, we're, we're, we could go ahead and talk a little bit about the episode. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea for our podcast. Yeah. I mean, we should probably at one point start another podcast where we just talk about nothing, like kind of like the Seinfeld of podcasts. But for now, we will talk about Full Metal Alchemist. Sounds good. And we got two great episodes. We too. do. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about episode 36, which is called Family Portrait, and episode 37, which is called The First Tomunculus. And a lot has happened. I know I say that all the time, but it just seems like now we're getting to the point where the plot is really developing and we're kind of we're kind of past that second act and we're trying to figure out what's going to happen and everybody's plotting to, to, to get to the ultimate climax. So, Family Portrait starts with Hohenheim and we jump a little bit into his backstory, but first we see him naming off a few people and then he rips a red liquid out of his chest. He asks for forgiveness as he has to use them. At first glance, you would think that that liquid was blood, but it seems to have some sentience as it burrows into the ground. Not like just soaks into the ground, but it actually seems to like consciously decide to burrow into the ground. We then see Hohenheim watching a young Ed and Al sleep when Trisha walks by. So obviously this is in the past, let's say 10 years in the past. She tells him that, you know, he can hug them because, well, they're, they're his kids. But he says he doesn't want the monster to spread. Hohenheim believed that his body was cursed. It is implied that he's been largely a loner for most of his life. And he just kind of tried to take life as it was and find the little beauties in the world, like, you know, nice flowers or whatever. But then he met Trisha, fell in love, decided to start a family, and now he's really starting to realize how abnormal he is. He doesn't age, yet his family does and will age. They take a family photo. This is actually the same photo we see in early episodes where his face is blocked. Uh, however, this time we get to see Hohenheim's face and that he is actually crying in the photo. The reason he's crying in the photo is right before they take the photo, Trisha comforts him, letting him know that while she might get old, she'll always be there with him. And despite what he thinks, he's not a monster. Now he wants to be with Trisha and the boys more than ever, grow old and die with them. Hohenheim lets Trisha know so that he's going away. He's discovered something and he needs to he needs to address it. He asks Trisha to wait for him. And to not tell the children because he doesn't want them to worry and he doesn't want them to know about the situation with his body, which we still don't fully know other than the fact that it's immortal, but we don't know why it's immortal. He tries to seek out at night because he doesn't want to see the kids' sad faces, but unfortunately they wake up and they see it and... Whereas we saw the original version where Ed just saw him like looking at them scornfully, we actually see that Hohenheim, from his perspective, he was looking at them with tearful eyes because uh, having to leave them. So from here, we move forward to where the uh, Briggs soldiers are. A team of soldiers is investigating the tunnel. We don't know how far deep they are, but they've clearly gone pretty far. We see the soldiers attacked by a black mass with eyes and smiles, kind of similar to what we would see if you were to like combine the Gate of Truth with Truth. We jump back to the conversation between Raven and Armstrong. It is clear that Armstrong is putting on an act as she is wanting to kill Raven for his suggestions in creating an immortal army. She asks if her men will be able to share in the glory, 
and he is very you know coy about it. He won't say yes or no, but he you can kind of tell from his body language and demeanor he's leaning towards the no. This is where Armstrong realizes that she is in a bind. If she agrees, she may be putting the Briggsmen in risk for whatever Raven is planning. But if she doesn't, they will likely replace her with another pawn who will agree, and then she'll get demoted. A soldier busts into the room and mentions that the team in the tunnel have come under attack, so Armstrong and Raven investigate. Investigate, yeah. The brothers are then transferred from one cell to another in order to make the story of them being captured convincing. They run into Miles and Kimberly in the hallway. The team found a horse for that return with just the arm of a soldier. The horse was way too spooked to go back into the tunnel. Well, Armstrong suggests sending another team, but Raven tells them that it's too dangerous not to do so. Then he asks where the immortal biological weapon is, which we know is a homunculus. Raven then checks up on the brothers. Raven believes that Armstrong is now on his side as they are putting Sloth back in the tunnel and plan to seal it. Raven tells the team that Sloth is actually a chimera who is part of an experiment to improve this great country. We see Scar and Yogi rejoining with Mei Chang and Marco. Some Briggs soldiers have found their location, but Scar knocked them out. But because of this, they decide they need to move on. A few days pass and the tunnel is being filled. Raven and Armstrong are looking upon the work. And Raven mentioned that when the special day comes, they will both become immortal beings, along with the other senior staff, all being called chosen ones. Armstrong asks what will happen to everybody else. Will they be sacrificed for the ones on top? Raven confirms that this is the survival of the fittest. The lesser will be sacrificed for the greatness of the upper beings. This Volans and pretty much anyone else were, ple were pleasant sacrifices for them, or necessary sacrifices. We cut over to Miles and Kimberly. Kimberly is talking on the phone, and Miles is kind of escorting them around, and Kimberly's kind of getting annoyed because he's trying to figure out, well, where are you trying to take me? They start to talk about how, you know, Kimberly was a man near death, but he is miraculously healed. But then also, how is a war criminal like Kimberly just walking free now? Kimberly assures Miles that it is none of his business. We jump back to Raven talking. Armstrong turns on him and stabs him through the arm. She is disgusted that he no longer loves his country and is now willing to sacrifice all the people for something as silly as immortality. She proceeds to slash at him, and he falls in the concrete, sinking and ultimately dying. Miles can now stop distracting Kimberly as the deed is done. She has the men level off the concrete to cover up the murder. Miles plays dumb and asks where General Raven may have wandered to. He says that they have word that they lost him. He must have just wandered off. And, you know, this is a big fort and it's a dangerous area. So anything could happen. Kimley then turns it around on them and threatens them by saying that if anything happens to the general, he has permission from the Fuhrer to handle it however he sees fit. He asks for a car to go down the mountain. Well, we've learned that Full Metal created a secret passageway for the men to enter the tunnel after they had filled it up. Ed is updated on the status of Raven, and then Kimberly enters the cell where the brothers are being kept and brought Winry to Briggs. And our episode ends. What hits you the most on this episode? I really love the Hohenheim stuff in the beginning of this episode. It gives us a whole kind of other perspective on that character that uh, we were missing before. He always seemed like a very stern, uh, rigid kind of uh, father, but you learn that he's uh, really loving, but it's just this one thing that's holding him back. Yeah, so I definitely agree. And one thing that I've noticed, too, is when we first see those scenes of Hohenheim leaving in earlier episodes, we see it from Ed's perspective. And Ed sees it as his father being cold and just leaving because he has no interest in them anymore. Now we see it from Hohenheim's perspective. He's leaving because he has some kind of task to do. And I think with the way they are kind of juxtaposing him ripping the red liquid, which I assume is a philosopher's stone, 
out of his chest. Then they talk about him having to leave because he has a mission. I think those two, you know, are somehow related. And he left because he is, he has to do something. I'm guessing it's to protect his children because we see that he has this resolve. But then he also tells Trisha that he's just temporarily leaving. Like he is not, he doesn't plan on being gone forever. He just needs to handle this thing, whatever it is. So yeah, when we see him walk away, he has tears in his eyes because he doesn't want to have to say goodbye to his brother. Or it's not his brother, it's his son. And then who is he? Like He keeps talking about, I'm a monster. And once I got into like this form, I didn't think I could like fall in love or, or something like that. Like, I thought maybe he was a homunculi because we haven't seen pride yet. So I was like, is he, but then he fathered these two children because she's not like we adopted these kids and they look like him. So I was like, well, he can't be that, but there seems to be something different about him. Cause he's like, I won't age. And his wife, she seems to understand this because when they're taking the picture, she says that I'm going to be old and wrinkly and I want to remember this moment. She wasn't like, we're going to be old. Yeah. And he already mentioned that he has an immortal body and stuff. So obviously he's not just an average human, but we don't know what he is yet. Cause he just, yeah, describes himself as being a monster and stuff like that. So. But I wonder what makes him a monster. I know we see that he has this, like a philosopher's stone, we're assuming inside of him. And I guess he knows who is who it's made up of. Because he does, as he's doing, he's like saying names of people as he digs into his chest in the beginning. So I assume those are the names of the people that it took to make the stone. Most likely. And I did notice, yeah, like I mentioned, it was sentient. Like the, the puddle... When he pulls it out, it kind of forms puddles on the ground. But then a few seconds later, it moves in a way that's just not natural for any liquid to move. So I do think it's like sentient Philosopher's Stones fluid. And we, we know about Philosopher's Stones is, as you mentioned, you know, they're made of people. So those must be people that he worked with in the past or something. I like this whole beginning half of this episode. Just it's... It's that thing where it's we saw it from one perspective and how it looked from Ed's eyes of who his father was in that night that he left. But now we're getting to see it from Hohenheim's side where it's a uh, he wants to find a way to connect with his family and something's holding him back. So he needs to he needs to find a way and like seeing him put that swing back together was was a great moment. Yes, we definitely get to see this side of him that shows how he is a good father and he was a good father. Whereas up to this point, we've just seen Ed's perspective. And I, not to minimize what Ed's going through, like I totally get it. He, he had his father walk out and not say why he was walking out and then just vanish when his mother was sick and wasn't there and all that. So like, I can understand why he's upset. I just like that. We're getting this context that it wasn't as simple as I don't want to be a father anymore. And so I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. You understand more of who this person is, who Hohenheim is. And it's not just this person who's against the family. Like he really loved his wife a lot. Yep. Absolutely. And it's kind of, and maybe it seems like she's the only one who truly understood like his insight, like his pain or what he was dealing with. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and then we, we get that whole backstory, but then we also get the uh, bigger story. You know, a lot of little things happen in this episode, but obviously I think the big story is we get to see a lot about uh, Armstrong's character in this episode. Yes, and it all happened so fast. I feel like I don't there was I it's hard to explain. Like she gets the information out of him and then she just kills uh Raven right there. Uh, it just is like 2 seconds later. Yep. And it just it confuses me. 
I think she was just, she's had enough from hearing from him kind of thing. Like, uh, I guess hearing. So what, what I gather from her is that she has this undying loyalty to her country and to her people. Like what, that is one consistent thing we keep seeing whenever she talks and whenever she's introduced is that she really believes in her team as being just this one unit. And she doesn't necessarily see herself as being above them or her life being more valuable than theirs or anything like that. So to hear this other person who's like, oh, I am willing to just kill people so that I can become immortal, not even like enemies, just anybody, my own countrymen, I'm willing to just sacrifice so that I can become uh, an immortal being and stuff. Like I think that just disgusted her and was against everything she stood for. And I think, yeah, she just reached a breaking point where she was just like, nope, I, I've heard enough and just stabbed him through the stabbed him through the arm. I just thought that there was going to be more of an undercover kind of thing to all this. But uh, that was all blown. And it's, it is very interesting to see kind of like we were talking about the beginning of the episode of Hohenheim is like just seeing two sides of him. It's like we saw Mustang's way of handling this and he's very undercover and he's got this like low key finesse about handling all this information, not kind of just going out in the open. And then we see Armstrong over here who's just like, I'm going to kill you right now and we'll, we'll figure this out like later. Yeah. I also think it might just be a difference from her of her being in Briggs and Mustang kind of being in the middle of a city and stuff. Like we see that this Briggs culture kind of makes you hard and whatnot. And earlier they talk about how, um, like in the previous episode, they talk about how everybody who's stationed at Briggs has their secrets and whatnot. And when Ed mentioned that, you know, oh, you know, I don't want to say anything because it could get us court-martialed. And Armstrong says some of the fact, like, even I have secrets law like that, too. So I feel like that suits her personality well. Like, Briggs people are just hardcore and don't care about anything. So rather than being, you know, secretive and like, oh, well, we'll poison him and he'll pass out and die in his sleep or anything. She just stabs him and knocks him into the concrete and he you know, dies being absorbed into the concrete. I understand why she killed him. And I, I think we all wanted to kill him, but it's like, uh, it's like setting off a red flag on him. Like when he doesn't return or he can't get it. If no one can get a hold of him from central, it's going to be like, well, something's happened clearly to him. So now everything has to go faster. Like, all the plans have to go faster in motion now. True. True. I think that's a good point. My guess is that they would probably play it off as just, hey, thing, hey, it's Briggs. You know, stuff happens here. Um, you know, it's a big fort. There's a lot of pipes. People fall down all the time. People fall in the snow and freeze to death all the time. Like, who knows what happens to General Raven? I also, like, Raven isn't the smartest either. Though he was giving me like uh, Father Cornello vibes when he's kind of like, and we bury in, he's like, this is a secret plan that Central has been working up, and this is just a chimera, and we're doing this for the nation. And the way he was talking was, it, it just gave me Father Cornello vibes. Like, don't worry, people, even though you don't understand this, this is just the way, and we're doing this all for the good. Yep, I think he's definitely convinced himself that what he is doing is right. I mean, I feel like we've seen with other soldiers, like with Grumman and whatnot, that when they're approached and when they don't seem to be a pro whatever, like they're not they're not on board with whatever's being said, they get demoted. So it seems like this conversation's probably happened a lot of other times. And these, you know, the ones who do well in the conversation are probably just as sociopathic as he is. And just like, hey, yeah, becoming immortal and sacrificing other people. That is totally a cool thing to do. 
Yeah, and I and like as he's getting covered in cement, which is I don't know. If I was getting covered with cement, I wouldn't have my mouth open. But he wanted to get those final words out. And like the cement goes in his mouth and he's like, I was so close to immortality. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh it just is like are these people doing it for the right reasons? Is it for the nation or is it just for their own own will? Oh, it's absolutely for their own will. I just think they're lying to themselves about it being for the greater good and stuff just to kind of... It's a lie to themselves to make them feel better about what they're doing. And then they let Kimberly know that they can't find Raven anymore. And then he's like, that's good because now I'm probably, I'm in charge. And I'm wondering if the people at Briggs understand. The brothers have told them how far it goes up. But I wonder if they truly understand how far it goes up. Like, you really can't trust anyone who comes from outside anymore. If they're not a part of the core group, then they're probably in on it. Yeah, I think. I mean, I do think they know that. Like, that's why Miles is trying to keep Kimberly busy and stuff. So that there would be they would be able to create a better cover story on what happened to Raven. Uh, I think they do know that they can't trust anybody else. And I think they're, they're already pretty closed off from the rest of the world. I wonder if this is going to cause them to close off even more. Well, Armstrong's goal is to be the Fuhrer, I assume. So I think she's, she's going to want to take this further. But my thing is like now Kimberly is in charge. I wonder if they thought that through, like, now we have to take orders from Kimberly, in a sense. Yes, that's kind of the vibe they're given, that Kimberly has orders or has some kind of uh, guidance. or, or He essentially has orders from the top that is telling him that he can now do whatever he sees fit because if something happens to Raven. Yes, and then we end with Kimberly and Winry together, which was my nightmare. That I didn't think she would get there so fast. Yeah, they did say a few days, or actually, they said several days had passed. So, who knows? I don't know how long it would have taken them to get there. Uh, maybe I don't know how big the country is. Maybe it's like a five day train ride. I don't know. But yeah, they, they did give her a little time to get there, though. It just it, everything seems to be like happening. Quickly, I know like every now and then they'll mention like, oh, it's been a week or so. But for me, it's like this thing happened and now the next day it's like this next thing is happening. It Everything seems to be coming really quickly for me right now. I agree. It is happening really quickly, but I think I guess they have to like, you know, I guess there was nothing interesting that happened during that week when Rin was traveling. So they just like fast forwarded. I have a I have a question and it's about the very end of this episode because I'm watching it on Netflix. Sometimes my episodes just kind of roll into each other. Did this episode end with like a weird end credit like scene or is that part of the next episode with Mustang? Usually when my episodes end with a post credit scene, the, 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 um, the uh, credits will play all the way through. But if there is no post post credit scene, I'll just skip to the next episode and bypass the end credits. So for me, on my Netflix, if I recall correctly, it didn't play through. It just jumped to the next episode for me. Okay, because I got confused. I was like, are there end credit scenes for more episodes and I'm just missing them? But, okay. Then that was part of the next episode. Cool. I guess if, if we have everything done on this one, we can jump to the next one then. I did have one more thing to say, and it's like part of my like weird funny moments. And this is about Hohenheim, but if for me as a childless single person, and I don't know if any of our listeners are childless single people as well, and I didn't grow up with siblings, I'm an only child, so babies are a foreign thing to me. But if you ever had, like a lot of my friends are having kids right now. If you ever had a baby handed to you, when Hohenheim grabs Edward and he's got his arms out and he's kind of holding him away from him, that's how I hold babies. Like, I don't know what to do. They're foreign to me. 
And I just, I related to Hohenheim a lot in that moment. So I just wanted to point that out. I don't even know that I've ever held a baby. I know that sounds weird, but I honestly can't think of the last time I've held a baby or if I ever have. I've just never been great with babies in general. Like I, I don't, I just, I think I've gotten better as I've gotten older. I'm still childless, but I guess just whatever time progresses and you mature or whatnot. But yeah, I, I could see myself doing what Hohenheim did if I had to hold a, hold a baby. It is interesting that I, I feel like people are always trying to hand off their baby. Like they're like, hold my child. And I'm like, I don't know how to hold a child. And now I'm going to call that the Hohenheim. Whenever I'm handed a child, I'll be like, this is the Hohenheim pose. <laughs> yes, that's what we should call it from now on, the Hohenheim hold. But I just wanted to point that out because as soon as I saw that, I was like, that is me. That is how I hold a baby. Nice. Yeah, I think I, I am going to rewatch that just to figure it out. Knowing me, that is probably how I would hold one, too. So you're in good company. All right, we're going to jump to episode 37, the first homunculus, which could also be called the last homunculus because, well, you'll find out why. So we see some soldiers from Central have shown up to Briggs. They came under the pretext of escorting Winry to Briggs, but Miles isn't buying it. He believes that they are there for other purposes. We jump to Winry helping Edward fix his auto mail, making those up so that he can survive in the cold without having issues. Winry asks how Ed managed to get locked up, and, you know, Kimberly walks in. He has actually kind of a very jovial voice, and he says that it was a simple miscommunication, and he'd take care of it. Winry thanks Kimberly and thinks that he's nice, but then Ed warns her not to trust him. We see a flashback that couldn't have been but a few days ago, because this is as Winry is driving up to Briggs, with Kimberly, they're in the car, and Kimberly makes himself seem sympathetic to Winry because he apologizes for not getting there in time to save her parents, because you know she he knows all about him, her parents being killed by Anishvalin and them being doctors who helped everybody, and yeah, she ba- he basically just praises them for being such great doctors, willing to help people, and. Winry ultimately uses a story to back up her claim that, hey, he's a nice guy, but Ed still isn't buying it because he knows about Kimberly's past in Ishval. But then Ed, you know, starts to question how accurate that information is because he only heard it from one source, being Hawkeye. This causes Edward to have a flashback to when Hawkeye pointed out that Ed loves Winry. Ed kind of freezes, goes berserk, trying to get the thought out of his head. He starts reciting elements to get anything in his head besides the fact that he might love Winry. Interestingly enough, Winry questions why she is in love with Edward or why she is in love with such a weirdo is actually more of the words she used. Uh, But she said it under her breath. When Ed asked her what she said, she says nothing. Buccaneer comes in and Winry, of course, falls in love with his auto mail. Ed introduces her as his mechanic. Buccaneer beats him up. Because, well, life is unfair. Winry decides to check out some of the other auto mail, and Ed warns her to, you know, be careful when you're wandering around. Kimberly then approaches to discuss business. Alphonse is still in his cell so that Kimberly can kind of enact a uh, divide-and-conquer approach in handling the brothers. The advance team took three days' provision, but they have been gone for a week, so they are probably dead or starving it's dark down there so they're probably gone crazy they're sending another team to try to retrieve them buccaneer is leading this team and he says hey if we aren't back in 24 hours seal the door with concrete because who knows what's down here and we don't want to risk them coming out and harming the briggs people as they leave, Armstrong tells the soldiers to place all the blame of Raven's death on her and her alone we see Mustang back in Central talking to a flower merchant. This merchant seems to be an informant giving him information about the Briggs soldiers from Briggs, from General Armstrong. It looks like Mustang is working on forming an alliance with Armstrong. Well, it really turns out that she's only interested, or Armstrong's only interested in the East Army helping her. She doesn't really care about Mustang personally. 
he then pays for all the flowers. We see that he has paid for a lot of flowers to, I guess, make things look legit. Uh, and she wanders off, apparently implying that she is somehow related or affiliated with the Armstrong family by having a similar tuft of hair as we've seen from the other family members. We go to the team in the tunnel. They find the remains of the men. They show that a lot of them were just cut clear through in half. They find two men still alive, but naturally they're shaken and they are weary and just frightened. They say that everybody else was torn to pieces and they warn that there's some kind of evil there and tells them to destroy lights. We see the enemy encroach upon them, but then decide to turn away and go back. We jump to the Fuhrer's palace. Hawkeye has arrived to deliver some papers to the Fuhrer. The Fuhrer is not present as Hawkeye is talking to his wife. Salim appears out of nowhere. He acts like, you know, average little boy asking questions about what's going on. He heard a knock, knock on the door. The butler takes Salim back to go back to bed. As a mother would, the Fuhrer's wife brags on Salim. She mentions how great he is and that he's adopted, but she doesn't treat him as an adopted kid and Really, she shouldn't treat him like he's adopted because, really, as she mentions, he is actually a distant relative of King Bradley, so they share some genetics. We see Hawkeye walk away, and she's in like a dark corridor walking back to her apartment or whatever, and she just realizes that something's off. Bradley was a test subject raised in essentially a lab, and he claims he has no idea who his parents are, so how could he have family and know for a fact that Salim is related to him? We then hear a distorted voice coming out of the corner. In the background, we see Salim. We learn that Salim is a homunculus. We see that he has the ability or he is manipulating these tendrils that look like they're coming out of the shadows or coming from the shadows. And he says his name is Pride, and he was the first homunculus. Pride wraps up Hawkeye in his tendrils. He acts as if he's going to kill her, but she points out that he won't kill her because she's a useful hostage. Pride agrees, but warns that he'll be watching her from the shadows. And it is clear at this point that she is incredibly shaken up by the whole experience. Back to Briggs. Kimberly says the Fuhrer has three jobs for Edward. One, find Scar, uh, but let Kimberly finish him. Two, find Dr. Marco. And then three, carve a crest of blood in Briggs. A crest of blood means that he has to kill everyone and soak them in the land, similar to what Kimberly did in Ishval. Ed refuses to kill. He is determined not to kill, even though he's a soldier. He asks Kimberly, do you have any idea what these guys are planning? Kimberly doesn't really care. He seems to know that this has to boil down to something of, this boils down to the humans versus the homunculi. And he really just wants to see how everything, plans, uh, everything plays out. And he wants to see who wins. And because the homunculi gave him his freedom and the ability to use his alchemy as he chooses, he chooses their side. Kimberly offers Ed a philosopher's stone if he does what is asked of him. Ed says that he needs to talk to Al and Winry. Ed wants to let Winry know that she's involved, even though she hasn't known up to this point. She doesn't realize she's a hostage. Kimberly's all right, but he says he needs to listen in because he wants to ensure that he does not give away anything big. Ed tells Winry everything. Winry is upset to know that she is being used as leverage against the brothers. Ed says he's in on the plan, but he wants to take Scar out first. Al is just very angry to hear that Ed is even considering doing all of this for Philosopher's Stone. But as they leave, Al mentions that Ed's probably just playing a game because they think they can use Alkahestry to get their bodies back. And there's a Shingy's girl that's traveling with Scar, and that's probably why Ed is wanting to hunt Scar so that he can find the girl. As the team gets ready to leave, Winry joins. Kimberly says Winry needs to wait at the fort, but Winry argues that she needs to be present to ensure that Ed's auto mail is fine, as she has never done this kind of upgrade before, and of course she doesn't want the Rockbell name to be tarnished. 
Ed and and Winry just start to bicker back and forth. So Kimberly just agrees. And this is essentially where the episode ends with everybody kind of acknowledging that they have got themselves into some deep trouble. So a lot was definitely unwrapped here. We got to meet the first and technically the last homunculus that we meet because that makes seven. What are your thoughts? I was shocked when we found out that Selim was pride. I felt like my whole world was turned upside down. I didn't understand what was going on. I was I felt betrayed because I like liked this kid a lot and I was I really liked the Fuhrer's family. I didn't like him, but I liked his family. And now I'm just like, oh, that poor mom, his wife, she does not know what is like what is going around her like around her. Exactly. She has no idea that both her husband and her son are homunculi. She just assumes they're a regular happy family. And yeah, that does seem to come out of nowhere because up until this point, Salim acts like just your average you know, young boy. I don't think they ever say how old he is in the show. Uh, they might, but you know, I, if I had a ballpark and I'd say he looks somewhere between eight and 10 years old. And so he just looks like an average boy and stuff and acts like that. And then all of a sudden we see that part where they're in the, 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 the uh, corridor hallway area. All of a sudden we just have that huge 180 where he has kind of that distorted voice and he's not talking like a little boy anymore. He's kind of, he's talking like an adult and he's talking about, he's talking about having fun with, with Hawkeye and harming her and stuff, but then also threatens her. Like we just see that huge change in him. It It's one of those moments I was really worried about Haw- for Hawkeye, for Reese Hawkeye, that, that moment. Cause we find out when characters put together things real quickly it doesn't end well for them and it looked like it was not going to end well for her but you know she was like this isn't the right moment you know you can't kill your hostage exactly she's still useful to them so it wouldn't make sense for them to kill her at this point but yeah it's also funny how quickly Salim figured out everything because you know they're there's no reason to think that she would know anything. But as soon as she drops that, oh, he is related to Bradley, Celine must have realized, oh, he, she's smart. She puts, she, she pieced things together. And, you know, she, she uh, was tailed by him and he reveals himself. Yeah. And it seems like he is the most powerful of them all. Like, we, we don't know it's him. But he's in the tunnels because that's his eyeballs, I guess, or his little hands up in the Briggs area. And then, but he's not really there. He is back in Central. So it's like he's he's the most powerful of them all. It seems he is indeed. He is all able to. It looks like he's able to manipulate shadows because they mention in the tunnel that they need to destroy the lights because he comes out of the shadows and stuff, which we kind of see him doing stuff like that as well. Like the tendrils seem to not, the tendrils purposely seem to come from a shadow. They don't seem to come from anywhere else. So I guess we'll find out more about that. He's, he's somehow related to shadows and darkness and stuff like that. Like his power base is. And his little like tendrils or hand little things they are very familiar to the hands that we see when we uh, go through the doorway and we see truth. Yeah. Everything about him reminds me of truth because like he has the giant, the, the black mass coming out of him and the little tendrils. We see the weird eyeballs coming out, which kind of look like the eyeball in the gate. And then the weird smile too, which kind of looks like truth's smile. It, it was just, it was a lot this episode that kind of, a lot went down this episode, and this is like flipped everything on its head for me. But now, finally, we now have a full cast of mm-hmm. all of our homunculi. Like, we've got all the sins, or who is still alive, 
but it's interesting now that like how one was so close to everyone and no one really guessed exactly like that was probably the last one you'd suspect to be a homunculi because all the other ones just look evil or, or act evil and when we see them interacting with people they just act like they're bad guys uh except for maybe sloth but sloth kind of looks inhuman just with his massive build and everything and of course the ouroboros tattoo uh but yeah salim just looks like an average boy and he seems to be pretty far removed from everything that's happening. We never really see him interact with the other homunculi or anything like that. But yeah, that was that was definitely a big twist. Yeah, that, that took me off guard. And then we got this whole Winry situation going on, which I love Winry so much. The more I watch her, the more I feel related to her as uh, someone who like cooks for a living. I'm a baker. And I really fanboy out about different techniques or if I see someone doing something interesting with cooking and I'll definitely fan like fanboy out. And we see Winry fangirl out all the time with auto mail. And it's, I feel like we're kindred spirits in that way. Yeah. I could do that sometimes with some things. I'll fanboy over some full metal alchemist stuff, but also like sometimes Marvel things and, yeah, a lot of times tech things as well, like Kubernetes and cloud computing and stuff. So I, I could kind of relate to that. I It's just great seeing her like so serious at moments, but then some cool auto mail will come out and then she'll just be like, I need to know everything about this. And we see her taking notes about how the different kind of auto mail out. And she, she saw him with that piece and she could break it down. She was like, oh, diamond tips. It was it was really cool. I love Winry. A yeah, lot I don't even remember what she said, but she it was like the M model light mail or something like that. So like she she even knew exactly what kind of model it was and all that stuff. And I I, I know we I don't think any of us underestimate Winry and her like capabilities, but in this episode, I really got that feel like she is a true auto mail mechanic genius because. She lives in a not cold weather area, uh, mostly warm. The automobile she should be dealing with, she wouldn't have to worry about that. Yet she knew like how to adjust everything for the cold weather, which is like a true sign of an expert. Yeah, because in the previous episode, they made it sound like it wasn't something that the average person knew, like how to create automail that can deal with cold they mentioned how they had to experiment with a bunch of stuff before they figured it out. It just sounded like it was proprietary information of Briggs. So for her to know this and figure it out was just like, it's just showing how amazing she must be with her skills. Yeah. I, I do think I don't, like I said, I don't think we underestimate Winry at all, but she is a true expert or yeah. Expert at her craft. Like when we see her in, was it Rush Valley and how just people come up to her with problems and she's able to fix them. She's very good at thinking of a solution on the top of her head. And uh, I'm really loving like how she's really becoming more and more a part of this team, not just as a mechanic. Now, as we see in the end of this episode, she's kind of, she knows she needs to be near them just so because she's kind of being used as like a, a bargaining thing in a sense. So she knows she's got to stay near their brother so that they know that she's okay. Yeah, and then she even says towards the end of the episode that she's tired of just waiting and standing there and waiting for something to happen. Like she wants to take action. So yeah, she comes up with a good excuse so that she can join them. And I love this like arc that we're going with Winry that I was really worried in the middle of this episode when we, when she finds out that she was just brought there to make the brothers do what the gov- what central wanted them to do, what the Fuhrer wanted them to do, or they would hurt her. I was worried that was going to make her, um, uh, like, a, a weaker character. Like maybe she wasn't going to be as proactive, but I love at the end of this episode, she's like, I can't just sit around anymore. I need to be a part of this. I can't 
she's really like, I can't let people use me. I got to be useful. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, definitely. And this just goes to the anime and I guess to the same extent to the manga itself. The, the female characters are written pretty well, I will say. Uh, not just, you know, Winry, but Hawkeye and, and uh, a lot of the others. Uh, must, uh, not Mustang. Um, Armstrong. Like, just they're all written so very well. And I like that. Yeah, I don't... I can't think of a female character that's not... In this anime, that's not, like, a strong character. We got Teacher... Who's like so kick ass. And it's just like all these female characters are really showing what they could do, even with May. Yep. Who is super strong in Outcastry. Yeah, she was able to survive going through the desert from Sheen by herself. I mean, I guess she had Xiao Mei with her, but ultimately she did by herself. Yeah, so I'm really glad to see this kind of where Winry's heading. I was really afraid that she might have regressed. And I thought she was going to stay in the cell. But seeing that she's like, I need to be a part of this. I need to go out there and be with you guys on the front line. I'm really enjoying this. Yes. And, you know, she's not a fighter. That Nobody's established her as that. But she's still proving that she is useful to the plot and helping out with her automotive skills. But also just with, like, her wit and her cunning. Yeah. I, I She's definitely got... I think she's got more to offer than we know just yet. So I'm hoping something's going to happen or we're going to get something really awesome from her. Absolutely. There's still quite a few episodes left. So I think we might see some really, really, really great things happening. At least that's my hope. And I do like we finally everything's on the table about Winry and Ed's relationship. Because she says, like, point blank, she says, why did I have to fall in love with such a weirdo. And now it's like, now it's out there. Yep, no denying it. So, I'm glad, like, it's, we've been alluding to it, but now we concrete now. Absolutely. And that, that, that just, that makes me happy to know that, that, they, that that really is happening there. They just, neither one of them can admit it to the other, that they're in love with them. But, like, we all know. I love that. And then I love, the Mustang part of this episode is great, too. We see Mustang having to buy all these flowers from this flower lady who has a secret message from him from uh, General Armstrong, who we think... I, I don't know. Was her name ever said before this episode? Uh, yeah, I think... Um, I think her brother mentions that her name's Olivier Armstrong or something to that effect. I must have missed that. And she says it. The flower lady says this and gives him all this information. And I love at the end when she, he's like, ah, so we need to work together. She's like, oh, she doesn't need you. She just needs your forces. And that's, that's class. Like, I love that moment. Hey, at least she was honest. But yeah, they, I guess my we see when they're talking that she's kind of wrapping the flowers. So I guess he had to buy all the flowers to make it look believable that he was just talking to like making casual chit chat while she was preparing his order. But yeah, it is funny to see that he has like, it almost piles up to the top of his car. Cause he has them stacked like right in front of his car. And he's just like, what am I going to do with all the flowers? And then we see kind of this, the passerby's, Talk about how he's weird and strange and stuff. Uh, that's a great moment, too, where we see these kind of girls on the side of the street. Not being like, oh, look at him with so many flowers. They're like, what a weirdo with so many flowers. What is that guy doing over there? Because it is a comical amount of flowers that he has. Yeah, like, I, I would assume if I saw somebody with that many flowers, he was building a float for a parade. I do love that. Because I really didn't think about it until right at this moment when the flower lady lifts up her hat and we see like the little, the hair. And then you think of General Armstrong and she's got the hair. And it's like, ah, oh, that's a signature. Like, because Major Armstrong only has one hair or one strand clump of yeah. hair, I guess. So you don't really think of that as a signature. But it is that little like, protruding hair is their signature and i like that yeah the little cowlick is their signature because even um 
that his sister has it too. So I'm excited. I want to see more Armstrong family members. I want to get the whole bunch. And it's interesting that like she knows that she can't trust anyone else except for her family members. Exactly. She def- she I think she knows she can trust her own family. Her family will never betray her. And yeah, I think that's why she used that flower lady who has some relation to her family. I don't know if it's an aunt or whatever, but uh, yeah, she trusts her to give the information to Mustang. It, and it's interesting that she didn't tell her brother. She's like, the person I tell has to be in my family because I know that's who I can trust, but can't be in the military. Exactly. Yeah, we. I guess we'll probably find out. Hopefully, we find out more about the nature of their relationship, though, between you know, the brother and sister relationship. This is just your standard civil. Uh, sorry, your standard sibling rivalry, or is there something deeper there? Though it doesn't feel like it's on his side. Yeah, like Major Armstrong's side. It seems like she's like I have my priorities, and nothing's going to get in the way of that. Exactly. I am worried about the people in the tunnel, though, as well. Like, we find out that Pride is down there as well, just chopping people up. So, yet he kind of retreats back. I wonder if that's, if we're seeing the same moment as, like, when the Pride retreats back from in the tunnel. Is that the moment he's talking to Hawkeye? in their time, like he can't be in those two spots at the same time. And that's why he has to retreat back. Or is he waiting for a right? It could be. I actually never thought about that. I I always assumed that maybe he just had second thoughts and he was just like, Oh, um, you know, like I, let me, I'll let them live. Um, in whatever, just to not confuse anything. But yeah, I guess that is a good point. Maybe he realized I've got more pressing matters right now. And I wonder if he's, if he's in communication with, with Kimberly, because if he is, then Kimberly knows that kind of what's going on now. Cause why is there a group down in the tunnels? Exactly. That, that would, well, no, I guess they would probably understand. Well, no, you're right. That would make you confused, but I guess if they haven't, it sounds like it's a covert operation. So Kimberly might not be privy to the fact that the guys went down in the tunnel. Well, I'm saying like if pride told Kimberly, because, like, the tunnel is oh, supposed yeah. to be sealed off. But then Ed built a little secret passage. True. Away. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Pride doesn't care and won't tell him. That's a hope, anyway. I. It does seem like the, like, homunculus, like, the homunculi have, like, their own agenda. And they don't really care what anyone else does. Exactly. They... The I the the general vibe I get of the Vunculi is that they they see humans as lesser beings, and so Kimberly's just kind of a useful tool for him. So I don't think he necessarily feels the need, unless he wants Kimberly to kill them. I don't think he necessarily feels the need to uh, tell Kimberly that hey, the, those guys were in the tunnel. Like he the, Pride doesn't answer to Kimberly. If anything, Kimberly answers to Pride or the Homunculi in general. So if it's probably a need to know basis. If he feels that they need Kimberly needs to know that they were in the tunnel, then he'll tell them. I also feel like Kimberly's putting a lot of faith in the brothers not betraying him. Because Kimberly is not immortal. He's got the Philosopher's Stone. But Scar almost killed him a couple episodes back. And to think that they're going after Scar. What if like I wonder if he's thinking like, well, what if the brothers betray me? That's the brothers and Scar attacking him. I don't think he could survive. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. He does have the Philosopher's Stone. And then also, I don't think... I think he realizes the brothers won't attack him. One, the brothers have a strict no-killing rule. So even if he does... Even if they do attack, uh, it won't be to the death. And then, on the flip side, if the brothers did attack, it would not end well for them because word would probably get back to the fear of what happened. I mean, they could, I don't know, is it, is it kind of like a loophole if it's like, well, we can't kill you, but if we allow Scar to do it, then, you know, and then Kimberly dies by Scar's hand, and 
You know, what is the fear going to do? They're like, well, what, what can we do? We got outpowered by Scar. That's true, but I think Kimberly can handle his own against Scar. I think he would actually prefer it anyway. I don't know. That last battle with Scar did not go in Kimberly's favor. But you can even tell that he really wants to fight Scar himself because even when he made the deal with Edward, he said, just find, help us find Scar. Once you find him, I'll handle it. They are going to have to, like, lose Kimberly, though, like, because they want to learn alchemy from May. And you can't do that with Kimberly over your shoulder. Oh, yeah. I'm sure in one of the upcoming episodes, that's probably going to be a major plot of them trying to find a way to ditch Kimberly. I'm I'm excited to see like where we're going. Everything seems to be ramping up again. Uh, I, I'm wondering what arm like Major Armstrong's or not Major Armstrong, General Armstrong is gonna do because now she's kind of on her own. Kimberly's left, and he was kind of the main like watcher over because Raven's dead now. So what's her next step? I guess we're just going to have to stay tuned and see what happens. Obviously, we see that she's planning some kind of insurrection or or allyship or whatever with uh, Mustang's men or the East men. So, yeah, let's. I'm really interested to see what how all that plays out, like what her next steps are. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for both teams to get together. I've been excited for this for a while to see both teams get together. I hope Mustang tags along, even though she doesn't care if he's there or not. Oh, I'm sure he will. Like, I don't think there's any way he's going to just let all of this happen without him present. But it's going to be interesting to see how Hawkeye, if she ever, if she goes, how she gets over there. Because she knows the most now. That's true. As far as we know, she's the only one on the outside who knows that Salim is homunculus. So, and, and he's like everywhere. So, I don't know if she's going to be able to tell anyone. Well, she's pretty smart and they she has a decent relationship with mustang i'm sure she can find a way to send a secret note or something to him but well i'm excited to see what's next i hope there's more twists and turns and like more shocking moments because this episode definitely shocked me me too a lot of uh a lot of crazy stuff happened largely with the salim reveal but also uh, Winry just showing up and the deal with Kimberly, uh, just a lot of ha- stuff happened. I think that's all I've got. You got anything else? Uh, no, that's all I got. Cool. Well, I thank you all for listening. As always, we, we love having you listen. We also love hearing from you. This is coming out before New Year's. So, you know, if you listen to this before New Year's Day, or even if you listen to it after New Year's Day, we wish you a happy 2021. And as always, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. Take care. Bye.